This is the fifth Sunday uh, after Epiphany, and it's also following this liturgy, the uh, annual parish meeting. And I was thinking about all three of the readings for this week in this cycle, and thinking maybe I can draw some connections between how we think a parish ought to be uh, based on what we've read today in the biblical witness and hopefully not be too much like Ralph Cramden, who did say to Ed Norton that you can fit a square peg in a round hole if you force it. (laughs) So I want to preach on Isaiah, on the reading from 1 Corinthians, and on the gospel, where in one sense we get our charge which is that you and I are to be a light to the world and we're to be the salt of the earth. And how do we understand what that might mean? Last Sunday was the feast of the presentation of Christ in the temple. And so we didn't read the normal readings for the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. And if we had read them, we would have read from the prophet Micah, who has perhaps one of the most famous quotations uh, in the prophetic literature in the Hebrew Bible. O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And so Isaiah today continues on that vein. And there's a couple of things to start this sermon with to think about. Uh, This is about... Uh, our responsibility to the world. And a few weeks ago, I I read a quotation to you from Reginald Fuller, uh, where he said, you know, everybody thinks the church with a capital C is the sum of the church with churches with a small c. And he said, every church is church with a big C. And we participate then in church with a big C. And we always need to think about... uh, the importance and the weight of who we are and what we do. So over time, as things uh, become entrenched in parish life and things happen, uh, and it appears to be true in Isaiah's case, there are a lot of people who uh, believe that the worship that they do is sufficient. And this is important to say at St. Luke's because worship is we take very seriously here. And we think it is absolutely essential in terms of the development of a mature Christian life, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And so the liturgy is at the center of our self-understanding. But it doesn't just have an end in itself. It is praise to God and thanksgiving to God. But, you know, the tradition within Anglicanism of which St. Luke's historically is a part flowed out of the social conscience of the people who established the Catholic movement in the Church of England. To be sure, they weren't the only part of Anglicanism that did that. But the liturgy was understood to have consequences beyond what you did on Sunday. And so Isaiah is speaking today about that and how sometimes worship can get somewhat empty if we don't understand that it's connected to something uh, larger 
and more important. And he says that the goal, Isaiah, of what it is that we're about, animated by our worship and our love for God, is to loose the bonds of justice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. It is not to share your is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. So it's important for us to think big thoughts about who we are as the people of God, to understand that our parish is our center, but not our circumference. I hope you can understand what I mean by that. It's our center and not our circumference. And we get some support from Isaiah for that idea today. Reading uh, the reading from 1 Corinthians, I get to thinking, you know, when you start to read Paul like that to people uh, from the lectern, after a while, we go, oh, you know, I'm just getting about 10% of this. It sounds pretty intricate. But here's what Paul's talking about today, which I think has a direct connection with the uh, understanding of the role of Christianity in our own time and maybe of the Episcopal Church in some ways. And some caution about how we understand those things that we're very proud of in our tradition and should be. Paul is speaking to a group in the Corinthian church who believe themselves to be possessors of the, tr- of the truth, of real wisdom. And everybody who doesn't agree with them is not in. And Paul is saying to them, you know, you need to have some degree of humility with regard to the way in which you express how you understand what you believe and what you think. Because what we need to do is not dumb this down, but we need to understand that it is the Spirit of God that moves in every human being. And by virtue of that, we need to find the ways in which we communicate these deep things to people in a way that they can understand. But we also have another difficulty. And that is that in our own age, and perhaps always every age, I was thinking uh, about this. I, I moved to uh, St. Luke's from Marin County. And I came down to the Silicon Valley in the early 1990s when things were flying high in April. And there was an awful lot of smugness and self-satisfiedness about how, how much we know and how much we can figure things out and that all problems have solutions. I ran into a particular discipline that I didn't know much about in Marin County or Tucson, Arizona, for that matter. Uh, and that was a certain person we call a double E. 
So in conversations, you'd run into some say, well, you know, Greg, he's a double E. And they go, oh, well, oh. <laughs> you know? And Paul is speaking about people who believe themselves to be very smart. This kind of view cuts across all ideological lines. Conservatives, liberals, everybody has this idea that we, we are very satisfied with themselves and believe themselves to be, you know, smart. And you should be. You should own the things that, that uh, you think are good. But sometimes it's completely... Uh, something that is completely unexamined in some ways. I was reading an essay on translation this week, and I'll get all these words mispronounced, but it'll serve the purpose. It's a, a story, it's often told in academic circles, about a person, a student, uh, speaking about the difficulty of learning other European languages, an English speaker, monolingual, lingual. 20% of the population in this country speak another language. Everybody else is pretty much monolingual. And so this guy says, well, you know, uh, the French call it a cuillère. The Italians call it a cuchillo. The Germans call it a loffel. And the English call it a spoon, which is, of course, what it is. <laughs> completely unselfconsciously says something like that you know smart people but I've also was reading to prepare this sermon starting to read again through C.S. Lewis and in his book Mere Christianity he says you know each one of us who are properly convicted of our principles need to keep in mind that everything that we think is so, we must also stand at some critical distance from. We must have sufficient humility, as Paul is alluding to, to the ability to say, well, that's, yeah, but, you know. And we're living in an age now where people's ideological commitments are such that it is almost impossible to have any kind of reasonable consensus. And it doesn't augur well for the future. And Christian people, like the people of St. Luke's, can maybe be an instrument of shifting that. So as they pray, as you pray, and as you think, and as you reflect, and you labor to be the best human being you can be, you really do make a difference. And I think that's what Paul's getting at because the spirit is so deep that it searches not only us, but God himself. And so it means that all of us are a work in progress, and that's important. Finally, in Matthew's gospel, remember this. Matthew believes Jesus to be the new Moses. And so last week we didn't read, which we would have if it weren't the Feast of the Presentation, the Beatitudes from Matthew. Famous. And today we continue on in a segue from the Beatitudes into Jesus' ethical teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Where he is speaking about how then must we live in so many words. 
And Matthew believes Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount as a parallel to Moses bringing the law from the Mount down to the people. So he is speaking in this, in this regard, and he's speaking about letting our light shine before others. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. I hope it won't embarrass her, but Nancy's mother used to speak, use that term all the time. <laughs> you know, a city on a hill cannot be hid. I'm not quite sure what the context was all the time when she used it, but nonetheless, <laughs> it was a good reminder of a, a deep and powerful biblical truth. And then he goes on to say that we are the salt of the earth and that that is important uh, that we let our light shine uh, before others. Matthew also believes that uh, the, uh, the Jesus of Matthew is proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is near in his person, in his words, and in his works, but the kingdom of God is also near when those who follow him express and reflect back to one another those things that we speak of in terms of letting our light shine, being the salt of the earth, being, being advocates for, for justice, peace, equity in our common life together, that all of those things are part of what the Christian task may be and must be. So when you think about St. Luke's, think about how important it is to have a community. One of my professors in seminary, there's two things I I've, didn't say that I want to say. The first one is when we think about the world versus here. We had in seminary once, I remember we had a number of these, a community meeting. And the community meeting was the whole community. It was the students, it was the faculty, it were the families of the, of the students, the people who worked on the farm, all of the people that were there. We were all together. And generally, one of the things that usually flowed from this was, there's a terrible lack of community here, you know? <laughs> and so somebody would comment, say the obvious, well, here we all are. This is the community. But what they were doing was imposing on this how they thought a community should behave. It's like referring to your parish as a family. That's a very dangerous thing to do. You know, families don't get along with each other. That's the way it works. You know, so we'll say, oh, we're a family. Then they're shocked and, you know, practically swoon when they, when they say, oh, this is a family. Yes, it is. But the other thing was, one, at one of these meetings, one of the members of the community got up and said, um, well, in the real world, da-da, right? Here we all are, these cloistered students, and we're all doing this stuff, and, you know, and my friend and teacher and mentor, Lewis Weil, was sitting in the meeting. He said, excuse me, this, where we are right now, is as real as it gets, Okay? Let's remind ourselves of that. Everybody wants to go an either-or deal, or we have a bunch of people in a sheltered academic setting, and that's not the real world. 
Well, it's as real as anything else. And so when we think about our common life together, we need to remember that that's true. We're the real world here. And we're going to leave after this Mass and go into the real world. And we're going to be the salt of the earth. That's the promise. And most of us want to do that in some form. It may, we may think it's beyond our capability and our, our knowledge or our ways of being and doing. But each one of you is part of being the salt of the earth in big and small ways. So sometimes, you've heard me say this many times before, don't think about this only in heroic terms. You know, all of us are not going to be Mother Teresa. It isn't going to happen. But each one of us has and will touch somebody's life in an important moment in their life that was transformative. That's pretty good. So this week, give thanks for being uh, part of uh, God's light. Give thanks for being the salt of the earth. And give thanks for the ability through that process to be the people of God. Amen.